you can easily start to think it's all about you and, and what you're doing is what's making your business successful. And when you fall in that trap, people really don't want to follow those kind of leaders because they're busting their butt behind the scenes to make your business successful and bring you that income. And if it's not all about them, then they start to do the least amount as possible to, to help you out. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction innovation and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Dan Dowdy. He's a second-generation tradesman with 20-plus years of experience leading multi-million dollar home service businesses. Dan loves helping business owners scale their businesses all while living the life of their dreams through leadership training, coaching, and mastermind groups. He also hosts the podcast Built for the Trades. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, Todd. Looking forward to this conversation today. Likewise, for sure. So you, you obviously have the, the the family connection in the industry, but but how did you personally get uh, kind of roped in and, and involved in the, the industry? It's a great question. Um, I would have to say, to be honest, path of least resistance. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this probably being a second generation tradesman. And I, and I do love the trade that I come from, which is a plumbing trade. Um, but growing up and and doing that as a job through school, you know, high school and, and on into college, um, being in a family plumbing business in the trades, it just was kind of a natural progression of you know, uh, I didn't really think to do anything else. It just, it was kind of like, I, I guess you could say you're born into it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, was there something that you were, well, once you started your career, you were really grateful for that, that kind of being brought up in the industry and stuff that you picked up with maybe out even realizing that you picked up. Yeah. When I think back, you know, um, being a part of the trades as a whole, I think is just amazing people. It's awesome. I love working with my hands. I love uh, fixing things. And I think that the trades can be like artwork, you know, stand back and look at the, uh, something that you created. Uh, I also love serving other people. And uh, but it wasn't always like that in my career for a long time. It was um, very much selfish leadership for me, especially early on coming up in the family business. So um, a little background on my story when I started in the family business, it was 2001. I uh, started actually before that I was an apprentice, then I was a technician and I kind of worked my way up to the chain of command. And I was a technician for 10, I guess eight or nine years actually. And at a certain point it was time for me to step up into, into a management position, some kind of leadership there. And I remember my dad saying, Hey, look, you know, I'm going to put you in this management position. And, uh, you know, and, and just kind of pulled me out of the truck. And I felt like it was a little bit early, but looking back, I do appreciate it because I loved being a technician and I love the art of plumbing. I love serving customers and things like that. So when I got kind of thrusted into that role, there wasn't a whole lot that I was taught or that I even knew about managing other people and leading a company and stuff like that. And so I had to really kind of either learn from mistakes or um, learn from what my parents could teach me, which was good knowledge. Or eventually I hired my first coach and that was around 2010, I guess. And uh, that really helped propel my business forward. But as I was propelling my business forward, 
I, I began to think it was all about me and, and I'm the reason why my business is so successful and so on and so forth. And so I fell in that trap that I think a lot of leaders fall into. This is why I'm kind of explaining the story is that when we th you can easily start to think it's all about you and, and what you're doing is what's making your business successful. And when you fall in that trap, people really don't want to follow those kind of leaders because they're busting their butt behind the scenes to make your business successful and to bring you that income. And if it's not all about them, then they start to do the least amount as possible to, to help you out. And, and you really find yourself with high turnover and you find yourself with employees that are just there to get a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And so for people listening, if that's where you're at, you may start to check in at, you know, how are you leading? Are you, you know, are you leading through that servant leadership lens? Or are you leading through, it's all about me and I'm hiring you to make me more money. Mm -hmm. Are, are so, there certain kind of, uh, you know, warning signals on, Hey, you're leaning to the, the selfish side and, and not the, the servant leader side. Yeah. I, I mean, really it's that it's, you know, high turnover and then what I call the just enough employee. So it's the employees that are there just to get a paycheck. They're just clocking in, they're clocking out. They're not really giving a whole lot of effort. And, you know, I think about, we see this a lot of times in like government agencies where, you go into the DMV to get your license and that person does not look happy to be there. <laughs> They're there because they have to, it's a job. Right. And so what I help people, you know, so going through that experience, it's not, you know, I, it took me a long time to realize that. And I went through a lot of mistakes to realize that. And, you know, a good example of communicating with your team. Here's a, so I was back in those days, you know, I was being interviewed on some podcasts and I was doing some video work with some marketing companies and, one day I sat back and listened to one of my podcasts and I realized that, you know, they were touting me for running a successful business and I was taking all the credit. And, um, it wasn't until I watched Jordan Spieth, I actually enjoy watching golf and Jordan Spieth in his early days when he was gone on the PGA tour, he was winning everything. And, and it seems like golf is no more selfish sport, right? It's just you out there against the competitors but Jordan Spieth had won the Masters or something, and he's getting interviewed, and he's like, you know, this was a team effort. It was all about my team, and he started naming off his coach and his parents and, you know, all these different people that I realized, like, wow, I am not doing that. I'm taking all the credit for me personally. And so I learned that when things are going really well, you should be verbally giving your team all the credit as a leader. When things are going really bad – you should be verbally taking all the, you know, all the ownership for things going bad as a leader. People can buy into that because people want a leader who's real, not one who's always right. And so when I learned that and I started communicating like that, now my team felt appreciated for what they did. Before, they're just like, oh, Dan's doing another podcast, taking all the credit for all of our hard work. He's not even here. And so when people hear that and they start to you know, when you're taking all the credit, they're not going to be bought into you as a leader or your organization. But when you're giving all the credit, they're going to go above and beyond and move mountains for you. So mm -hmm. it's pretty cool. Concept. Yeah. So, so that's, you're fighting against uh, human nature in, in a way. How, how do you start kind of building that muscle to, uh, I love that of, of getting, giving the credit away in, in times of, of, of when things are going well, and then taking the ownership during the, the, the struggles, if you will. But how do you, how do you work on building that muscle as a, a, as a leader? 
It's the small things, Todd. I mean, it's it's literally the smallest of things. Like when I when I really was transformed and changing my heart towards that servant leadership, it was it was a small thing. So what I would do is I started this routine every day, and I actually still do it to this day. And I ask myself, I, I, I do a little bit of journaling in the morning when I wake up, and I I just you know date put the date on there, and I and I put you know what did I love, what did I learn, and how did I serve. And I reflect on the previous day. And uh, what I find is, is that what I loved was experiences or connecting with other people or time with my family. Um, you know, what I learn, it could be the simplest of things. You know, it could be something as simple as how I prepared for this podcast. Maybe I learned something new that I should, you know, apply to, to you know, further down the road. Or like, how did I serve? It's the small things. It may be that, hey, instead of uh, making myself dinner first, I made dinner for my wife and then I made dinner for myself, you know, or uh, it could be the smallest of things like that. And what I found was when I was waking up and putting not available in the serving area, I had to really, really assess where I was at and make sure that I was doing something with my team that was small, that was serving because people do what people see. So I can say, hey, I want you to be the best servant leader you can be you know, they're only going to follow what they see. And another way of putting it, I think John Maxwell says this, he says, leadership is, is caught. It's not taught. And so, you know, anything that you want your people to do, you first must have to show them that you're willing to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love it. Of uh, the awareness factor and then being mm -hmm. intentional. You can't, yeah. you can't uh, get better at anything if you don't measure it back to kind of that adage of it and uh, the the journal aspect of it of, of really thinking through and, and being aware thoughtful and intentional that gives you opportunities to it's on your brain so throughout the day so you can kind of see it as it as it pops up uh and, and you're looking for those opportunities too I, that's awesome uh so talk a, a little bit about what's the difference between being a leader and being just a manager you know, earlier I said, you know, I want you to be a better servant leader. Like that's the thing that's thrown around is leadership. And the biggest frustrations that I see in the workplace now is that, you know, if I am your director, I'm your boss, right? And you're reporting directly to me. I may have a different uh, perspective of what it looks like to be a great leader than you do. Mm -hmm. And so how do you communicate what that looks like? Because I may say, you know, Todd is reporting directly to me and he's doing a, an, an OK job at leadership. And then you, Todd, you may be thinking that you're doing a fantastic job at leadership. And so when, the, the first thing you got to realize is everybody has a different perspective. In our, uh, in our, our, our live trainings we do on, on the four stages of leadership, I have people write five traits what it looks like to be a great leader and five traits, what it looks like to be a great manager. And they realize that everybody in the room has, they may have some similar things, but they're all different for the most part, as far as what their perspective is for what it looks like to be a great leader or manager. So I'm rambling on here, but to answer your question, leadership is influence management is accountability. And so people like if I was to draw a vertical line on a piece of paper, I'm going to put everybody you know, I come in contact with either going to be more naturally gifted on the leadership side, or they're going to be more naturally gifted on the management side. And then once they know where they're gifted, 
they can start to lean into the other side. So a good example of that is if I'm good at building relationships and I'm good, I'm yeah, really, if if I'm good at building relationships and I'm good at just leading by example, I'm probably going to lean more towards that leadership side. And Mm -hmm. if I'm good at holding people accountable, having those difficult conversations, then I'm going to lean more towards on, on that management side. And once you realize who you are more naturally, that's your comfort zone. And then to get out of your comfort zone, let's just say I'm comfortably a leader. I'm good at building relationships, getting people to know, like, know, like, and trust me. I still have to hold people accountable to be, to be a great leader, right? I can't just ignore people and not have a backbone. If I do that, people are going to run all over me. And then on the flip side, if I'm just solely gifted at being a manager, I may get people to do what I want them to do, but it's probably going to be with some force. And, and once again, people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And so if I'm solely just managing people, I probably more than likely, there's going to be a lack of relationship there, a lack of that know, like, and trust factor. And so if I know that about myself, then I need to slow down a little bit and realize that there may be, maybe, maybe there's something to taking this person to lunch or sitting down one-to-one, one-to-one with them and, and really learning more about their family. And so uh, yeah, hopefully I answered your question. Just simply put, I, I like to see leadership and management like that. Yeah, no, I think it makes a ton of sense. Uh, and for me personally, you know, I, I lean more on the the leader side than the the manager side. And that was something as I, I started to lead a, a team, I had mm-hmm. to really, uh, uh, through mistakes made <laughs> on not being the a good manager side, uh, that, you know, holding up the the relationship as is more important I, I had to to learn that there are moments when you have to have those hard conversations and you have mm-hmm. to uh be clear in how you're communicating it because i would i'm a people pleaser so I, I would try to go into those hard conversations but couch it in in a way that mm-hmm. still was mm-hmm. nice and I, I thought i was kind of being clear of that i was getting frustrated but that did not translate at all and so that was a is a, a huge learning curve of like, oh, w- when everything hit the fan of like, no, I'm I'm really upset by whatever happened. Uh, people were really surprised, and that that kind of took me off guard of like, well, I've been talking about it, but I wasn't clear in my my verbiage because I was trying to be too nice about it. So, uh, okay. learning uh, those direct skills, those. Yeah, I completely relate with you, Utah. There. Um, you know, and, and really when it comes to holding people accountable, the key is just put it in writing. And, and that's the biggest thing is like setting expectations is what a lot of people miss. And if I'm, if somebody's reporting directly to me and my, and, and they should first and foremost have a position agreement. Some people call them a job description, but there should be something in writing that just says like, here's two pages of information that tells me, that tells you, here's the very basic things I need you to do in your job. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the first, you know, anytime you have a problem with somebody, you can always go back to that and you can read through it again. And now it's not about Todd. It's not about how you feel. It's not about your friendship. It's about, Hey, you signed this agreement. This is your job. So I do need you to improve here. And here's, you know, some of the facts that here's some of the things that you're doing and here's some of the improvement opportunities for you. So I think a lot of people get hung up on, well, I feel like you're not doing this and I feel like you're not doing that. And what that is, is that's, that's, that, that's leadership. Or that, that's leaning more towards the feelings, which is more towards the leadership side, which then people kind of get that personal and business mixed up there. 
And so there's two different pieces we talk about a lot, actually three different pieces. First and foremost, core values, having core values for your business. If you're listening to this and you don't have core values, um, putting those on the wall are really amazing because not only can you hold other people accountable, you can say, here's our core value. Here's why, here's why I'm having this conversation with you. But on the flip side, people can hold you accountable too. And so core values become your culture. And so what I say is your culture is your core values plus your willingness to hold your team and yourself accountable to your core values really is what equals your culture. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the next tool that I say is a good accountability piece is your position agreement. Having a simple position agreement in place that we both signed that you got trained to and you understand is a great accountability tool. And then the third piece is what I call position scorecard. It's a scorecard that I sit down with you every month and I say, here's the top six metrics that we're going to track that tells me that you're doing a good job in your role. And sometimes I tie a bonus to that or spiff or something like that. But what I want people to realize is that when it comes to leading and managing people, natural progressions as humans, and I'm just talking about humans as a whole, not the super elite people that are super driven, natural progressions is path of least resistance. So if we just give somebody a position, train them in it and let them run, a lot of times they just, they, they, they go, 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 they're okay. And then they start to realize I can get away with this. I can not do that. I can get away with this. And next thing you know, their performance is dipping. Mm-hmm. And a lot of leaders out there don't address that quick enough. And so I like to put a system in place to say, hey, Todd, I'm going to meet with you this day and this time every month that's on our calendar. And we're going to review this six, these six metrics. And anytime between now and then, if you need my help, I'm here to coach you or train you on it. But you need to be passing that scorecard every month. And then if you're excelling in it, I'm going to pay you a bonus. And so what it does is naturally, you know, we leave that meeting. You're doing good. You may start progressing or actually regressing a little bit. And then the next month comes and I pick you back up. And then we go again the next month to come. You know, so it almost becomes a cycle of just picking your team member back up, putting them right back where they need to be and then letting them go and then doing the same thing every month. And so if you have that system in place, now you're proactively keeping your team performance up versus reactive, which is dipping way down low. And next thing you know, you're having a really tough conversation and sometimes people quit or they get fired. And um, it's also why I'm not a big fan of like doing like uh, annual reviews of, Mm -hmm. of team members, because I feel like, if you waited a year to tell me my performance, it's too late to be an ongoing way, conversation. Way too, <laughs> and then if you tell me I'm doing a bad job a year after, you know, after I've been doing this for a year, I'm going to be offended um, because more than likely I'm coming to that meeting with expectations that I'm doing a great job and I'm going to, I'm going to get a bonus. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest misconception is that's the old way we used to lead and it was effective, but the new way of leading is constant. Um, constant uh, improvement and constant coaching and constant attention to the people that we're leading. Yeah. So how do you go about creating the, the buy-in company-wide around, uh, you know, good core values and mm-hmm. uh, this kind of ongoing conversation and shift the the mindset for people that may have been in the industry for a long time, used to the, the old way. Maybe they even like the old way and they don't want to change. <laughs> how do you go about getting that buy-in? That's a great question. Uh, so, you know, really it's all about first and foremost, deciding from the top down that, that you do want to improve. And so to some of the signs that if you're stuck kind of in the old ways of leadership, it may work for some of the older generational, uh, generation people that you're leading, 
Um, but the newer generation, the millennials and the Gen Zs want to see it a little different. So what you may see is that you have high turnover or you have a hard time just retaining people or attracting people. And so to get buy into it, first and foremost, is realizing that there is a leadership gap there, right? There's a generational leadership gap. Mm -hmm. You know, even thinking back to me, you know, um, in the way I was raised by a parent who's a, who is a baby boomer generation, you know, it was it, it's different than and then how they're being raised now. So if I was to treat everybody the way that I was treated when I was growing up in the trades, I would probably run people off. And so realizing that is the first step. The second step is, you know, realizing that core values are very foundational in your business. And every business owner has a set of core values that they live by. Sometimes a lot of times they're just not on the wall. Right. And so you are a, your company culture is a direct reflection of you as a leader. So if you lack integrity, then the company may lack integrity. If you have high integrity, your company probably has high integrity, so on and so forth. Um, and so to get by and what I always do is I start with a leadership team and I share the why and I share what's in it for them. And that's really a great selling technique period. And then I let them know that, Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to develop a set of core values. Here's why we're going to do it. Here's what's in it for you. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I want you to be a part of the process. So that's the third piece to buy in. And, you know, you're probably not going to establish core values with your entire organization as far as getting everybody's input. But with your leadership team, or maybe it's just you and your spouse, or maybe it's you and your business partner, y'all work together as a team. That way it's, you know, here's the idea. Here's why we're doing it. Here's how it benefits you. Let's work together. And then now we all have ownership. The difference would, on that, Todd, would be that if I just went off, you know, in a room somewhere and I developed them and I said, hey, team, hey, leadership team and everybody, here's our new core values. I want you to live by them then that's just kind of pushing your agenda on people. And it's hard to get buy-in, especially when it's changed, right? It's like, oh, geez, man, they're changing. This is getting weird. I might jump ship, you know? Um, you know, so I, I always want to bring people into the mix and get them engaged in, the, in, you know, in that process. Hey, innovators. Do you want to help inspire the next generation of architects, engineers, and builders? Applied Software Great Tech Group does too. In fact, they have launched a scholarship contest and need your help spreading the word. If you know any students or teachers who could benefit from the contest, tell them to visit asti.com slash AEC scholarship for more information. Applied Great Tech is giving away over $1,000 to help students pursue their dreams. And we need your help to make it happen. So what are you waiting for? Let's make a difference together. Yeah, for sure. I think having a, a, a voice and a, it gives you that, that ownership of like, Hey, they, they, they care enough to at least ask my opinion, whether, you know, everything gets put in there or, or not, they, yeah. they at least care to hear what I have to say. I think that goes a, a long way for sure. Uh, so you, you brought up kind of the, the different generations there. Mm -hmm. How is it's an interesting hurdle that I think that the industry faces is, is merging all these different generations in the workforce. You got four generations that mm -hmm. think very differently and, and operate very differently and want very different uh, cultures in the workforce. How should firms kind of seek to successfully navigate this potential conflict between the, the different generations? Well, first, you know, 
businesses are who they are. And uh, I think that they shouldn't be ashamed of that. So where you can lose your way is if you get caught up trying to be trendy or trying to do what your competitors are doing. And so really, first and foremost, it starts with your core values, who you are as an organization. It doesn't mean you can't change, but if you try to adapt to different generations to make everybody happy, that's the first, like, like, that's one of the foundational things in leadership is you're never going to make everybody happy. So first and foremost is establish who you are and own that. And the next piece is realize that, you know, it's not about how you want to be treated. It's, a, it's about how others want to be treated and you have to bridge that gap. And so what we call it is like the golden rule is treat others the way that you would want to be treated. That's been around for thousands of years. It's amazing, but it's not amazing if you, if you have a relationship with somebody else, like if you have a true relationship with somebody else, you should start to learn more about that person and their personality. And you can start to adapt in the way you communicate with them and communicate with them the way that they would want to be treated, which is what we call the platinum rule. And I think that that's where the difference is just throwing, you know, Gen Z's and millennials and, and all the other generations into these little buckets. It's effective, but it's not as effective as I think you can be as if you start to learn people individually. And so, you know, that like, if I'm going to develop a scorecarding system for my team members, you know, millennials may love that, but you know, Gen Z's may not like like it as much, or you know, uh, any of the older generations. I want to say it was it is it Gen Gen Y or I can't think of the next generation up than the than the baby boomer generation. Uh, I think it's uh, the Y. Where yeah, it's Gen now? Y, right? Yeah. Gen Y. Okay, yeah, I'm a little, br- but yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, every generation's not going to adapt the same. But it's hey, if that's company wide who we're going to be then we're not going to have special treatment for anybody. It's just going to be what it is. Mm-hmm. But you got to realize you may make some people really happy and you make some other people think it's stupid. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, hopefully that, that kind of answers your question there. It's, it's, it's not really, you know, and uh, really where people get in trouble and organizations get in trouble is when they bury their head in the sand and they say, you know what, we've done this for 50 years. We've always done it like this. And so we're always going to do it eventually those companies die out because they're not looking forward enough to realize that, Hey, just because that worked on me doesn't mean it's going to work on the next generation and the next generation. So it's sometimes just little tweaks. And really what we're seeing now is that people want more, uh, they want more current feedback. You know, they don't want to wait long periods of time to know if they're doing a good job. You know, they want more current, you know, current feedback, technology, things like that really, really is what what they're wanting to see right now. Mm -hmm. This is probably just leaning into my millennialness, but I think it comes down to the authenticity of it. So you you can have the, whatever culture that you have, it just own it and be upfront with it and explain it. Then people can make the decision. Yeah. I like this culture and I'm going to be involved in it and, and support it. Or, you know, this isn't the culture for me and that's okay. It's not going to work out for either side of that and let them go their own way. Uh, but having the, the, the authentic ownership of it is, is super important and not, uh, uh kind of pandering <laughs> to yep. the uh, particular generation. Cause it, it, it comes across as just that it's, it's pandering and it's inauthentic and people can see right through that. And not every generation is a, a one, you know, monolithic entity. There's 
even us millennials, you know, there's a, there's a huge spread in what we're, we're looking and what we think and what we are wanting from a company culture. I think that's important to be like, this is where we're going. You know, uh, we want your involvement. We want your feedback on it, but this is the direction that we're going to go. Yeah. I love that word authentic. It's good, right? People want a leader who's real, not one who's always right. And uh, there was a time in my leadership where I stood in front of my team and I was getting into sharing vision and, hey, we're going to be implementing this and here's where we're going. And one time I did that and I walked outside and I thought, man, that was an amazing session. Like I'm just rocking it. And then I walk around the back of my building and I see some technicians out by the dumpster doing their little technician dumpster talk. And, uh, I overhear one of them saying, Oh, just give Dan two weeks and he's going to forget about this. Like, y'all don't need to buy into this. He's my, he was my influential. He's my influential leader there. Right. He's like, don't buy into it. Dan, for, he has these crazy ideas. He implements it and then he forgets about it. And, uh, that hurt. Right. I had to really take a, a step back and realize that is who I am. You know, I, I'm a visionary. I love these ideas, but the problem is, is majority of my ideas never stuck. And so once I realized that, I started to really think about, you know, how can I be accountable to implementing ideas that are going to stick? And really, that's where surrounding yourself with good people, especially in your leadership team or a good spouse or a good partner there that can really you can bounce ideas off of that. Really, it's not about how great your idea is when you want to implement it. It's what are we doing with that idea after it's implemented? Who's going to be in charge of that? And, and cause another mistake I see a lot of times in businesses is when no, is when more than one person's in charge of something, nobody's in charge of it. And so if you're just throwing it out there and you're expecting your team to pick it up and carry it, the problem is, is they're already do, probably doing a lot of work and they don't have time for that. And so it starts, you know, you implement it strong and then it kind of fizzles off and never, never becomes part of your current system. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I encourage people out there to realize that being authentic is great having ideas and and changing and wanting to adapt your leadership to the next generation is amazing. But really what's amazing is building trust. And if we have that reputation of implementing things and not following through with it, all we're doing is we're losing trust with our team, you know, and, and, and they will stop buying into things because of your, your reputation, you know, whether it's in front of you or they're talking about you behind your back, you start to develop that reputation. So the, the, really the encouragement is just to slow down and realize that, you know, less is more when it comes to uh, making changes in your business and your organization. And the bigger the organization is, the harder and the slower the changes will be. But the main thing is that, you know, you're living by your core values and you have a clear vision of where you want to go and you're moving towards that and you're not getting distracted with opportunities that come because every business owner, no matter what size business, shiny object syndrome is a real thing. And uh, you can get caught going left and right, chasing shiny objects. And it really just distracts you from getting to your vision. And that's where having a, you know, having a coach or having somebody that holds you accountable really comes into play and in keeping you moving towards that vision for, you know, where, where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So what's the, what's the bottom line impact of a healthy culture on a company? Why should, why should leadership teams invest in and really care about it? Bottom line impact is you have a waiting list for people wanting to come to work. Uh, with you and your organization versus having high turnover and, and struggling to keep people on board. People want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. We've all heard that, that phrase, right? We've all heard that quote and that's it. 
you know, it's having a set of core values and a great culture is what's bigger than themselves. And once again, it goes back to that, that, that story I told about holding somebody accountable. If my, if it's always how Dan feels and I feel like you're not doing this, people quit bosses like that, right? Because that's that feeling that's between us too. And that's that relationship. How dare you do that? You know, we, we hung out on the weekend we're friends and I can't believe you're going to hold me accountable versus, Hey, our relationship's great, but this is something bigger than us. This is our core values. This is the organization. This is our vision. You're breaking. I mean, you're deliberately breaking those. And, and we have to get that on track if you want to stay here and be a team member here. So now it just separates that personal relationship. It makes it about something bigger. And I even encourage people to um, put it on their, on their job ads, put it on their website, um, and really just show people who they are. And it, it really serves as a filter for your organization. So if I see that, I'm either, I'm either not going to apply because I don't align with your core values or I'm going to apply because I align with your core values. And, you know, so many times I have seen over the years of working with businesses all over the nation, people will leave for less money to go to an organization where they, where they align with their core values. They will leave for less money. You still have to pay competitively, but they will leave for less money. And you, and you, you can find yourself really getting some really talented people and they're there because they align with their, their core values align with your core values. And they, and they start to really get bought into your organization. And instead of having employees that do just enough, now you have team members who feel like we're all a part of a team and they will go above and beyond whatever it is you're paying them to ensure the company's successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the, that's where the magic happens for sure. That's it. That's it. Uh, so we love innovation around here. What does innovation mean to you? Oh man. What does innovation mean to me? So innovation. Hmm. So really when I think of, when I think of innovation, I think of having an open mind, you know, and it's not that you're going to change to everybody's idea or the next technology that's coming, but you are surrounding yourself with the right people who are giving you the right information and you're, and you're kind of comparing it to your vision and where you're going. And it's like, and it, instead of being reactive at the moments, you're being proactive in the innovation. So it may be that you're going to a conference and you're being influenced by speakers and the technology around you. And the next thing that's coming up in your industry, or you're part of a mastermind group and you're learning from other business owners and, you know, in the trades or whatever you're a part of. Um, but you're the, some of the, I mean, yeah. So that's what I think of is just, you know, having an open mind, but not necessarily, changing because it's the next trend fad you know it's like you got to know who you are have an open mind but realize that if it's not helping you get closer to your vision then it's a it's a distraction so yeah i like it it kind of comes back to full circle of what you were talking about at the beginning with uh journaling and, and being aware and then intentional about it uh, i think that pairs in real nicely mm -hmm. with innovation as well too if you're not aware and keeping that open mind that, that some things could be better and then being intentional on what you're, you start lasering in to fix innovation just kind of falls apart and it, you're just chasing that, that shiny object syndrome. Yeah, very true. Uh, how do people find out more information on, on what you're doing and connect with you? Yeah. So you had mentioned it earlier in the show. I mean, we, I host the built for the trades podcast. And so uh, we're just an online community of tradesmen and women out there who believe in um, integrity, hard, hard work ethic, you know, 
doing the right thing for other people. And really, I built built for the trades. We say we are built for the trades. It just means that we're out there doing it right, serving other people, living with integrity and just providing quality work. And that's growing up in the trades. That's what I remember the trades people being. And so um, we have our podcast and then you can find us at builtforthetrades.com. We have some great free resources there. Um, and, and yeah, really it's just a matter of just connecting and, and helping people out where they're at and, uh, and realizing that all this information I'm sharing is a lot of it's done because I've done it wrong in the past and it's taken me a lot of years to figure out how to do it right. And I guess what? I still do it wrong sometimes. So I hope everybody out there realizes that, you know, it's, it's, it's an honor to get to share some of this information with them. And I hope that it helps improve their business and their leadership. Yeah. Love that. I think we, we learn way more from our mistakes than from our successes. So if you're open and, and honest to really examining what went wrong and, and taking that, that ownership for sure. I know. And I, I got to drop one more thing in here, Todd, since you said that. Go for it. When it comes to progressing in your business and moving forward and innovating and changing, the biggest reason why people don't move forward is because of their past experiences. So just always remember that and you'll, you may find yourself and well, I'm not going to do that because I did that one time and guess what? I got burned. Mm -hmm. This person stole for me or I lost all this money or whatever happened. And that will keep you, if you allow yourself to be enclosed in that box of past traumatic experience there, it will forever keep you from opening that box and moving forward. And so I just wanted to feel like I needed to share that is, is a lot of times people don't move forward because of a past experience. And so when it goes back to getting buy-in to something, sometimes you have to uncover why people aren't buying into it. And a lot of times it could be from a past experience, from a previous employer, from another business, you know, it's not even related to you, but they're like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that again. Cause last time I trusted that person, you know, I just got burned in the process. And so, uh, yeah, anyways, just wanted to share that. Yeah. It's ironic. Cause they're, they're still shackled to the, the problem that they're they're so desperately seeking to avoid and they're just kind of in a, a never-ending loop then of letting fear drive them it's that's not gonna true. work <laughs> no that's uh, very true final question for you if i could give you all power and you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing in the industry what would you pick to innovate oh wow <laughs> that's a great question I gotta, I gotta think about that for a minute innovate anything in the industry Oh man, I, you know, I think a lot, a lot about what, what we've talked about today is just the generational leadership differences. You know, if we could innovate that and we can communicate that and we can realize that for hundreds of years, the previous generation has complained about the future generation because it looks different. I can tell you, I mean, every generation said, oh, the, the millennials, they don't want to work and the Gen Z's, oh yeah, they're lazy. They don't want to work, you know? every generation's complained about the next generation and it's mainly because it looks different. And so if I could innovate anything, it's just some kind of platform that would educate people to realize that different doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's different. And, and I really think that between that and them opening themselves up to us, you know, really establishing their core values. I mean, it's what I do for a living. Obviously I'm passionate about it, but if I was to innovate anything, it's just it's just make bringing that awareness of what your business can be when you build those foundational tools and you start to you start to know who you are and then but you you remain innovative, right? And you know where you're going, 
and you continue to build a team around you that's diverse and you learn how to lead and manage them. It's an amazing thing because it goes, it kind of leads towards not only fulfillment in your life, because I think, I think fulfillment is seeing other people become successful, right? And it, it really, that fulfillment leads to your legacy. And so it all kind of rolls hand in hand. As you get older in life, you start to realize it's not just about the money or the things, but it's about the relationships you built and what you did with it. And what's the, what's the result from those relationships. And so that's what I would innovate. And uh, that's what I'm working to innovate is just educating people on that. And uh, it's just, you know, it, it's done like this one interview at a time, meeting one person at a time, working with one company at a time. Uh, whatever it is, if somebody can come listen to the Bill and Trades podcast and they enjoy it and they want to come part a part of the community, it's free, you know, but that's just like one extra way to, to help kind of carry on that influence of people having open minds to this type of leadership. Because when you do and you're surrounding yourself with great people like that, that love you and love your organization and want to see it succeed, uh, man, it's just a, it's such a cool feeling. It really is. Yeah. Love it. That's a, it's a great way to, to end it. You know, just focus on that, that one ripple at a time in, in the pond. <laughs> exactly. oh, good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Right. Thanks so much for taking the time and, and joining the show today. All right, Todd. My pleasure, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, take time to build the muscle of true servant leadership by being aware of your strengths and weaknesses. Then be intentional on the areas that you need to focus on. As we talk about a lot, change doesn't happen in one giant leap. It's about slow and steady progress. Take two, clearly define your vision and core values for the team. It's important to authentically communicate what is of value to you and the organization. That allows people to be bought in on the cause and mission of the team. And final take, don't be scared to move forward from past experiences that didn't go your way. It's okay to acknowledge something that was tried and failed in the past. We learn from our mistakes. That is all part of innovation, but we have to be willing to try. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software Great Tech Group at ASDI.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software, great tech group production, copyright applied software, great tech group, 2023.